Greetings, Meltopians. If you've become enthralled by the dark wastes and nightscapes of Meltopia, and want to further explore its Stygian depths, consider joining our Patreon. For $2 a month, you could become a Meltopian and gain access to the darkest artworks, as well as written mythos pieces contained in the Melgrim, entries in Meltopia's own dark encyclopedia, and the legendary Corpus Diabolos, an elite publication containing essays written by the most esteemed dark scholars. For $5 a month, become a feared mailsayer and gain early access to episodes on the Meltopia and Sleepwake Cycle podcasts, and listen to new episodes of our audio series, Tales of Meltopia, The Lost Library, and The Weird Book. And for $10 a month, join the ranks of the Melsapien, where you can listen to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, October's Children, as well as gain access to found recordings discovered throughout the world in The Weird Tapes. But if you're not ready to delve into the pitch just yet, and would rather swim the shallows to test the blackened waters, you can explore our public page which contains our entire backlog of Tales of Meltopia, The Lost Library, and The Weird Book, episodes from the Meltopia podcast, which all together number over a hundred episodes. So, whether you want to become a full denizen of the dark, or simply peruse the public archives, come visit us at patreon.com forward slash Meltopia. That's M-A-E-L- T-O-P-I-A. Now, without further ado, enjoy the show. Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trend says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Wesley stood before Moffat's tent, his face plastered with an eerily bright grin. For centuries, the entity known as Hesperius had anticipated this very moment, his chance to exact revenge on the despised Moffat. His aim was not just to end their existence, but to strip their skin, revel in their collective agony, and laugh until he was breathless. 
He twirled the knife between his fingers, a display of dexterity only a veteran killer would possess. He savored these fleeting moments before the carnage, remembering all the faces of his victims and their eyes, if they had them. Fearful as they came to realize their imminent end would be a drawn-out, excruciating ordeal. His hand grasped the tense zipper, pulling it down, the metallic sound acting as a chilling prelude to the cacophony of screams to come. As the entrance widened, the sleeping form of Cyrus Moffat became visible. His hands tingled with anticipation, ready to experience the sensation of delving into his rival's guts. However, just as he moved to enter the tent, he heard the faint crunch of grass to his left. He barely had time to react when a hulking beast slammed into him. Flinging his body into a cluster of trees and against a jutting boulder. Suddenly, Wesley's consciousness surged forth, his mind clouded with confusion. Ugh. Oh, what the? What the fuck? How, how did. How did I. Suddenly, he felt tendrils wrapping about his body, clutching his arms and legs like the tentacles of an angry squid. He turned in the direction of his attacker. It looked like some kind of muscle-bound, hairless wolf, its skin pitch black and its maw wide with shark-like teeth. Tentacle-like protrusions jutted out from around its face, using them to draw Wesley toward its gnashing mouth. There was an indignation and fury welling up inside of him, and he recognized the sensation of his body changing into something horrible. Again, he felt his mind merge with the thing inside him, their souls momentarily entwined with the other. Wesley moved before he was even aware what he was doing, dashing forward toward the assaulting beast. His monstrous fist broke through the wall of teeth adorning the thing's mouth and continued down the monster's throat. He could feel his fingers multiplying and stretching into sinewy branches, all grabbing hold of what they could of the creature's internal organs. With one strong pull, Wesley drew the entrails of the predator-turned-prey from its mouth, a trail of alien organics flowing from its open maw like a geyser. The thing fell dead instantly, no longer having lungs to even mutter its goodbye to the living world. Before he could gain his bearings, he sensed two more of the things creeping up on him, one on the left and the other on the right. Without thinking, he stretched his right arm toward the encroaching beast, his extended limb transforming into a horde of writhing barbed tentacles that enveloped the thing like some kind of thorny net. He pulled it to him and, using his left hand, which had become gigantic and clawed, palmed its head. He then pushed it inward with immeasurable strength, the thing's head crushing inward, pulverizing its collarbones and shoulders. He threw the lump of wet meat to the ground and then drew his gaze to the last beast, which had halted its advance. The two locked eyes for a moment, the lesser creature seeing only its impending doom in Wesley's eyes. Then it sprinted away. But the rage inside him persisted, and he leapt high into the air, eventually crashing down on the retreating thing. He felt his mouth elongate and grow, massive teeth emerging from his once human mouth. He bit into the thing and almost severed it in half. 
the rest of his alien protrusions rushing in and out of all the crimson spaces of its body, until there was nothing left but a steaming pile of flesh and entrails decorating the ground. He stood over the grotesque mess he'd made, realizing he was about 10 or 12 feet tall, his body a heaving testament to Hell's existence. What? What the? What the fuck just happened? Where the fuck am I out here? What the? What the hell were those things? Shut up and just get back to your tent before the others see you. But what? Listen to me, little Wesley. If those shit friends of yours find you out here, I'll fucking gash their skulls open and decorate this whole place with their brain matter. Do you understand me? Uh, fine. But you're explaining this shit when we get back. Wesley could hear the others rising from their sleep unzipping their tents and shuffling around the campsite. He skirted the periphery, sticking to the sparse underbrush scattered throughout the area until he had circled back to his own tent. His mind buzzed with questions. How did he end up out here? Why was he here? From behind a tree, he spied Riva and the others sweeping the forest with their flashlights. Without wasting a moment, he sprinted back to his tent and stripped off the blood-soaked remains of his clothing, tucking them deep into his bag. He pulled out a fresh set of clothes, courtesy of the barracks back at Site 2, and wiped himself down with a grimy towel. He would have to wash it or get rid of it before anyone noticed. The same went for his ruined clothes. Once he was done, he stepped out of his tent and approached his friends, now searching the woods where he had recently taken care of the creatures that had attacked him. He did his best to feign curiosity. Hey, uh, what's going on? What do you mean, what's going on? <laughs> You fucking serious? You didn't hear the goddamn tornado or monster noises from the woods? How could you not hear it? Mm, deep sleeper, I guess. Speaking of sleep, were you supposed to be on watch, Cell? Uh, yeah. Shit. I'm sorry. I must have dozed off. Moffat waved his lantern around, the light casting eerie shadows on the surrounding foliage and trees. As he moved it, the silhouettes started to twist and meld into one another. When the light hit the mangled corpse of one of the creatures, its shadow wasn't of a hollowed-out demonic beast, but of a living feral creature engaged in brutal combat with another, much larger and grotesque entity. The group gawked at the horrifying scene unfolding in the shadows, and Wesley felt his stomach plummet. Well, it looks like some odd creature had a fight here. This one appears to have been on the losing side. What in the world was it fighting? The creature seems... grotesque. And enormous. Great. So now we got something like that fucking roaming around? Not to mention the gigantic wolf-like things or whatever they... Oh, fuck! Here's another one! Jesus Christ, whatever the thing was really fucked him up! Cell's flashlight illuminated yet another one of the dead beasts, its body smashed to an unrecognizable pulp. We're on a dark continent teeming with demonic life forms. It's probable that they have frequent fights amongst themselves. It seems these... Hound-like creatures bit off more than they could chew. No pun intended, of course. River began to signal the rest of the group, occasionally pointing to the carcasses. River says he'll take over watch for the rest of the night. Given the circumstances, it might be better for two people to be on watch instead of one. Everyone nodded in agreement, and then Moffat spoke up. Oh, there is the small issue of my tent being open. I'm not sure if any of the creatures we saw in the shadows are smart enough to unzip a tent. I highly doubt it. Or if I opened it and forgot. But we should remain vigilant nonetheless. 
Wesley felt an odd familiarity when Moffat spoke about his tent, like he somehow already knew about it. Uh, could it have been one of those things in the cave? They said they could pretty much reach anywhere. Seeking to reinforce a false truth, Wesley chimed in. Ah, uh, yeah, that could very well be the case. They, um, they did say they would look after us. Perhaps it was them. Why not tell us afterward, though? They didn't seem like the type that felt obligated to explain themselves. Afterwards, everyone returned to the camp. Still restless from the night's excitement, they built a fire and gathered around it. Wesley could feel a simmering frustration from the entity within him, a restlessness sparked by disappointment. He knew he'd have to address it later, to understand how he ended up in the woods fighting against those grotesque creatures. But for now, he had to feign normalcy, imitate the actions of a man not inhabited by an otherworldly force. Foreign, uh... Have you figured out anything about this place yet? I mean, I mean, Grimland? We've been here for several months now. You must have some theories. I do have theories, but none that I can confirm. Based on my research, this place seems to have been normal at one point. I believe it may have even been inhabited by humans or human-like creatures, similar to those we found in Misereth. But I don't think they remember, since they didn't know what a human was. It's challenging to determine when this Narkiment event happened, but it appears to have occurred thousands of years ago. It references a sort of uh, global corruption where all life was tainted by this Prince of Snakes. The details of how that transpired remain unclear, but it appears he was killed or sacrificed by this last Interfectorum figure. Strangely, I've found passages about the Prince of Snakes voluntarily surrendering after causing widespread destruction. Why would he do that when he already had the world in his grip? Foreign paused for a moment. Your theory about the serpent energy grows more credible each day. These creatures, uh, all of them, seem to be some kind of corruptions. It would also explain the presence of the Erethum, given their use of serpent energies in their rituals and practices. It's like this entire place is a network of intersecting serpent lines. Perhaps when they mention the Prince's blood, it's a metaphor for spreading separate lines. I don't know. It's just a theory and not a comprehensive one at that. We've yet to unravel why you can speak their language, an ancient dialect of Arithemic. Can you recall anything at all that might have know, caused that? Yes, it is a fascinating subject, isn't it, Dr. Morgan? His grin was as smug as ever. Wesley felt a strong urge to wipe it off his face. Despite his disapproval of Hesperius's method in dealing with Moffat, he could relate to the feeling. I... I, I don't know. I, I only noticed it when Agrul was speaking to us. Maybe it was... Perhaps it occurred when the Bard of Koth had you. It might have been some sort of transference. Wesley looked at Moffat, puzzled. First he had put him on the spot, then offered him a way out. Wesley didn't hesitate to seize the opportunity. Yeah, that's a valid point. Um, maybe something happened while he was attacking me. Anyway, that's the only explanation that seems even remotely plausible. Foreign and the others gave him a tentative nod, which would have to suffice. But Wesley noticed Salvatore was staring blankly into the distance, lost in his own world of thoughts. Hoping to divert the conversation away from his uncanny ability to speak an ancient language, he nudged Salvatore. Uh, you okay? Hey, Salvatore, you alright? Yeah, yeah, um, just thinking. Uh, do you think... 
Do you think there's a chance of coming back after this, uh, corruption? You know, like, uh, like maybe a person's brainwashed or corrupted by these dark energies or entities. Um, could they recover from it? Foran looked at Salvatore suspiciously, surely thinking there was more to Salvatore's question than mere curiosity. Regrettably, I don't think so. I think once the serpent energy sinks in, the effects are irreversible. It's kind of like radiation in that way, except it not only causes permanent biological changes, but also spiritual ones. Why do you ask? Salvatore looked away, a grimace stressing his face, eyes watery. Uh, nothing. I was just, uh, just wondering is all. Riva suddenly started to gesture to Salvatore, his eyes compassionate yet authoritative. Salvatore hesitantly nodded and looked at the group. Uh, I, I kinda lied when I told you my parents died during the darkness. I, I mean, my, my father died, or at least we never found him, but, um, but my mother, my, my mother's still alive. At least I think she is. What do you mean? What, what happened to her? Salvatore took a deep breath, as if readying himself to relive a trauma he'd stowed away in the back rooms of his mind. You see, uh, my sister and I were only about ten years old when we awakened from the darkness. How the fuck we made it through is beyond me, but when we woke up, there were tree roots dangling from a dirt ceiling and the, the walls were sculpted rock. You know, I, I remember being so scared I started screaming, but, but my sister, she was, she was braver than me. She signed for me to be quiet and took my hand. We roamed what seemed to be a labyrinth of caves. Uh, we, we passed through giant rooms where there were houses made of stone, mud, and branches, and, and there were these strange statues of this pregnant lady with wings. All the while, I could feel eyes on us, and I could hear laughter, you know, children giggling. Uh, like I said before, my, uh, my sister is deaf, so she couldn't hear a thing. She just kept bowling ahead, trying to find a way out. I saw flashes of horrible smiles beaming in the dark, deformed little kids tucked in the shadows. I, I, I remember I closed my eyes and just followed the tug of my sister, who seemed to push harder and harder and harder the more horrors we saw. When we finally reached the mouth of the cave, I, I suddenly heard my mother's voice echo up from the depths. I looked back, and, and there she was, all, all dressed in black like she was at a funeral. But stranger was that she was holding a baby in her arms. It, it didn't look right, though. It, it was pale, and I, I could see blue vasculature crisscrossing its whole body. It was like it was dead, but, but it wasn't. I went to go see my mother, but my sister didn't give up a grip, pulling me away. It's like she knew. I struggled and yelled for my mother to come with us, but she, uh, she just flashed a smile and walked back down into the cabins. My sister dragged me kicking and screaming through the woods. Maligned children still giggling, still playing in the fog. I don't know how long we walked. Well past the sign of the town we were in. Orphan. It wasn't until a few days later that we wandered into another group of survivors and stayed with them a while. Yeah, it went on like that for a couple years, joining one group and leaving another. It wasn't until things started to stabilize that we were eventually reunited with my aunt. Jesus Christ, Sal, that's... that's awful. 
I'm sorry you and your sister had to go through that. Regrettably, that, uh, that wasn't the end of it. You see, after a few years, we, we settled in and had a chance to reflect on what happened. My sister, she started looking into things and discovered that that town of Orphan was home to some kind of weird reverse fertility goddess that supposedly brought dead children back to life. There were all sorts of bizarre rumors about the place, like uh, dead children luring their mothers into the woods, black carriages wheeling through the town on their own, and, and women dressed in black who took care of the undead kids. In uh, this latter part, uh, some referred to them as black matrons. It was this that got me thinking about my mom, how she was all done up in black and holding that baby like it was the love of her life. Well... When we finally brought it up to my aunt, she, uh, she told us that before my mother had us, she had a baby boy, but it, uh, it died of SIDS at six months of age. I remembered the little black blanket was wrapped in and the unwavering love in her eyes for that child she was holding. She chose it instead of us, her two living children. I, I often find myself wondering how that could be. How she could just uh, abandon us like that. But then I thought she might have been under control, you know, uh, under the influence of this weird mother of dead children, as they call her, or, or maybe, maybe, maybe she just chose him instead of us. A silence overcame the group. Wesley had never felt more of Fursell than at that moment. Wesley put his hands on his shoulder, trying to console him, trying to apply whatever emotional salve that could alleviate a mother's abandonment. After the quiet settled into an awkward silence, Foran piped up. Salvatore, the creature, Didi, um, you speak of, is, is known as Black Helen. She preys off the grief of mothers, uses their sorrow against them. The power of a lost child, I, I can only imagine, is all-consuming. But your mother, well, she may very well not have been herself. The influence of the Ealing Woods and the City of Dead Children, where you woke up, is known for its persuasive powers. Many a grieving mother have been lost in that place, imprisoned by their own heartache. I don't know if whatever power overcame her can be reversed. Uh, all I know is that your mother cared for you enough not to try and drag you back down into that cursed city below the earth. Somewhere in her, she, she knew to let you leave despite her not being able to. Salvatore sighed and nodded his head, tears almost streaming down his face. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. I, uh, I really mean that. I am... Um, I'm gonna try to catch some, should I? I imagine, uh, I imagine we got a long date tomorrow. The man flashed a half-smile and sauntered over to his tent, the weight of a mother's abandonment weighing heavy on his shoulders. Grimland is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Stephen Anslone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anslone. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about Grimland and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Meltopia, 
where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about Grimland and the world of Maltopia, visit us at maltopia.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trend says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com. And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.